0: All right guys, one last final reminder that we do have a giveaway going that will end on Sunday the 24th, Christmas Eve. You can find information on that on a biteofdnd.com as well as the description down below. Thank you.
1: Welcome to A Bite of D&D Podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest episode. Um, I am your host Zach and across from the table is my co-host Micah and to my right is our guest Reese Roberts. Hola. And today we are going to be uh, kind of picking Reese's brain about playing D&D with kids. Reese has just in the last uh, couple months started a game with his two kids, and I think that he's come up with some interesting things as far as that goes, and uh, you just want to kind of fill us in on how that got started and and kind of maybe at least kind
2: of the age group your kids are at? Uh, Well, essentially we got started because my five-year-old was just wanting to play. We host a game um, that I do not DM, but uh, we host every other week at our house, and he is kind of excluded. Yeah. So... It got started with him bugging me that he wanted to play, so I had the idea to just start a game at the house for my wife and I and our two kids. One, and my daughter is eleven, and my son's five. So, so there are I I have a
1: four year old. So how that's quite a young age to start a kid off with this. Was there anything that you really had to reel in or back off on, or did you just kind of feel like he was ready for this sort of thing right off the gate?
2: He was pretty much ready for it right off the bat. He went through with me step by step. We created his character. He was and wanted to be involved in every step of the way. Really? Even including his ideals and, and flaws and everything. He, wow. He did them all. Wow. Um, while we play, I was completely amazed at how into the game he is. He makes character driven decisions, he interacts with people as his character would. It's really interesting to watch. So, for someone who is to say that this is a at
1: at the very least a game for twelve and up or, or teenagers and up, and not a, not a game for kids, you haven't noticed that at all, really. You've found that the the rules as
2: kind of stated work well for that younger age group too. Absolutely. Um. Obviously, you know he's five, so I help him with. Um how how different spells work and things of that nature. But for the most part, he, he does everything. He he makes all of his own decisions. He rolls his own dice. He, he does everything.
0: Now, as far as that character creation goes, I mean, you said he was involved in every step of the process, but, I mean, did he have a set vision, or was, did he kind of describe things that he wanted his character to be like, and you kind of filled in the gaps?
2: Basically, what we did is we kind of discussed it. We didn't just sit down and create it. I pretty much talked about it. Just off and on over over two or three days and um, kind of got a basis for how he wanted to fight, um, what he wanted his character to be able to do, which he wanted to be able to heal other people. And so we ended up going, but he also wanted to be able to hit people in the face, as he, as he yeah, would. Yeah, I mean, so, obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we ended up making him a cleric. And he went through and did, I gave him and showed him pictures of all of the different races he chose his race, everything like that.
0: So I guess my next question leading off of that then, if he's a, a cleric, how does he handle his spells? Because, yeah, that's something that, th- that's something I've seen new players just in general struggle with.
2: Honestly, I give him a list of what he can... he knows what he can do, mm-hmm. and he, he just remembers it. He doesn't have any problems with it as far as... Pretty much about the only two spells he's using right now are his, uh, I think it's Sacred Flame and his his uh, Healing Word.
1: So an offensive and a healing spell, just yes. just kind of what he said he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Those two spells allow him to do that. Yes.
0: So basically, it's you you give him more of a simplified list of things oh, yeah, available yeah, yeah. A- to absolutely, him. And absolutely. He, okay. Yeah. yeah. And you says mainly those two. Do you do you have anything else on his list? And he oh, just got, prefers I've, those. Or? I've got
2: him a full spell list. Okay, you know, yeah. he can't read or anything. It's just what he can remember. Right. Yeah, so. and
0: it's just what he thinks sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And what, yeah, he what he
2: to wants do. to do, whether he wants to swing his sword at somebody or or cast a spell. So,
1: sure. well, really, we can go in any direction uh, as far as this goes. Uh, it's all somewhat new territory. So, I mean, if if you have, I mean, I'd be interested to know how you build your campaign or your setting and and kind of slated for it because you have an adult that you're running it for with your wife and then you have a preteen and then a small kid. So so how do you build a world and environment for
2: all three of those at the same time? Well, my D&D experience myself even is just fairly new. Here within the last 18 months probably, Yeah, first started playing. And so for me to be DMing at this point is kind of just off the cuff. Right. Um, I don't set a whole lot down in stone.
0: Well, it's probably hard when you've got, especially a kid that young, that any of your plans are probably going to go.
2: And that's kind of what I was advised to do, is not necessarily put anything down um, in stone, because I have have absolutely no idea what he's going to do from one second to the other. (laughs) So, to the point where we had an experience the other day, they were camping by the side of the road just to get a short rest in, and... Uh, had a random encounter come upon him and he was he happened to be the one on guard at the time and he rolls his perception clears his perception very very well notices something moving around and doesn't wake anybody up doesn't say anything he just grabs his, his sword and just <laughs> runs off to try to hit it so it's it's definitely interesting um it, it's it's funny it's 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 really really interesting to watch a 5 year old work through something in his head. You know, it's yeah. it's a D&D, so it's just completely in his head. It is very, very fun to watch how he, how he interacts with NPCs in-game. It is just... It's kind of fun to watch because I get the 5-year-old perspective, I get the 11-year-old perspective, and I get my wife's perspective. Yeah. We pretty much... My campaign itself, I have, you know, the huge arcs towards the end, but everything in the middle is... Just as it comes along, I'll add it in, so...
0: Kind of going off of him charging off into the bushes there with his sword. How do you handle combat with him, with all the different dice he's going to need to use for his spells, for his sword, for, you know, just rolling in general? Is it more for like a... Checks is things. it
2: more... Do you, do you use a grid, or do you do more theater of the mind? I, I have a grid for actual combat situations. Okay. But everything else is... I, I don't have a huge collection of minis or anything like that. It is... A lot of it is in the head.
1: Wow. Uh, so... That kind of leads to my next question as far as, like, at its heart, D&D has a lot of, you could say, basic, but for a five-year-old, it's far from basic math in it. Mm. Um, Is that something that you use as you encourage, or is that something that you found gets in the way of his engagement into the story if he has to sit there and add up numbers?
2: Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, He loves it. Uh, It makes him more involved. He can sit there and read his own dice. He knows Yeah. At this point, he knows generally what to add to certain die. He's getting really good with his d20 as far as he knows what he's adding every time he rolls. And
1: now you actually have a really neat idea that I hadn't heard of before as far as differentiating the dice so that you don't have to expect him to remember what a d20 is compared to a d12.
2: Well, that was the original problem that we had when we first started trying to introduce dice to him, is, you know, he doesn't know what a d20 looks like. He doesn't know what a d8 looks like. And so rather than having to point them out to him every time, what I did was take different sets of dice, and I took a different color for each one. Hmm. And so now he can associate the D20 with a red die. Yeah. Or his D8 with a green die, and it just works really, really well for
1: him. That's really cool. Is there any other things that you've tweaked like that that you've found really has helped?
2: Nothing I can think of off the top of my head. I'm just, I was completely blown away with how well he grasped the entire process. Even my 11-year-old struggles with it sometimes, and he just, I don't know if it's naivety or what it is, but he just runs with it.
0: With him being so long, about how, on average, about how long do you think your sessions usually last?
2: That—that That is our other thing, is we don't have a set schedule of when we're going to play. Um, because he is five, and five-year-olds are prone to attention span problems. It is pretty much just, we will be sitting around, and when we all decide that we want to play, we will play. We've had sessions... I've had sessions with him for three, three and a half hours, I think is our longest session. Wow. And then I've had sessions go half hour. Yeah, <laughs> And so it's just kind of at the point where he's I'm playing an, underneath I'm impressed the table. I'm hit
0: three hours with that, though. That was well, our, our, our very
2: first session. We went three and a half hours. Wow. They were That's really, amazing.
1: really excited. That's great. And and how frequently do you find that you end up playing?
2: Uh, before school started up, we were playing about twice a week, probably. Yeah. Um, but now that school's going once a week, I think we missed last week. We didn't play at all.
1: Let's go more towards your daughter for a minute, because that's another age group that that's, I think, more the typical age that people start introducing their kids to D&D, or at least that's what I've come to understand is an age that people do. Talk a little bit about, because uh, I think she's been playing for a little longer, but how her experience, introduction was, and her learning experience.
2: Her her introduction, yeah, was, she's been playing for a little while now. I don't know how long, um, but it's the same game. The game that we host, our DM was good enough to let her join, basically, she wanted to. For her, it's more of a, she likes to have that pretend thing that she mm-hmm. can do. She likes, her creativity is really strong, so gotcha. she likes to... To be something else for a little while. Right. More or less. Um, she likes the power aspect, the things that she can do, the abilities, all that.
0: Now, your son leaned more towards healing things. Mm-hmm. Has your daughter gravitated towards any specific type of character, or has she <sighs> kind of mixed it up between... Murdering her?
2: things. <laughs> <laughs> she is the exact opposite. Uh, she where, where Michael wants to heal and help everybody, Kelsey wants to be stealthy and mischievous and take that... Contract for a lot of gold that she probably shouldn't. So,
0: what you're saying is she's going to be scary when she becomes a teenager. I don't want
2: to think about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And as far as character creation went with her, I mean, let me, let me, let me, let's just maybe refocus on that for a minute. So, they're picking their their class, their
2: race. Are they rolling their ability scores, picking yes. skills, background, mm-hmm. the whole shebang? They do the whole thing. We, I go through them with it, we go through them with it step by step. They do all their own dice rolls, which makes them more involved. They have more more invested in the character itself. Yeah, um, they they pick how it looks, what it acts like. You know, with with going through and picking it their own their own traits and ideals and things. It, it gives them an emotional connection to the character. Mm-hmm. If I would have just made it for them, right. they don't have.
1: Right. How long did that process take? I mean, I know for her it's been a while, but how long does that process, would you guess it takes to build a character, sit down and build one
2: with you? Well, your even just, you know, because we re-rolled her a, an entirely new character for our campaign. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, so it was probably, we honestly sat down for a few days just here and there with with the books uh, you know as a family and just kind of discuss what everybody was going to do and how they were going to do it and all this kind of stuff so
1: that's really cool i like the idea i think that it's i think that it's just now becoming this in culture but this idea of D as a family game something that i don't think even 10 years ago necessarily there was a whole lot of families out there just sitting down and, and saying hey we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure this out ourselves.
0: I mean, ten years ago, they might just have been getting over the whole D and D is is Satan's thing. <laughs> I mean, I remember that when I was growing up, I was told that it was it was uh, an evil thing, and uh-huh. I'm not surprised. I guess that it took this long for it to start to to turn into that, but I, I think ten years ago was. Is probably right at the end of that.
1: So this is a little bit more of a a question that's going to be different for every person. But I was listening to um, Dragon Talk, which is the uh, D and D Wizards of the Coast podcast, uh, a couple weeks ago. And they were talking about trying to figure out how to bring the basic premise of D and D into the younger age market, and one of their big uh, pushes for that is obviously they want to find a more basic concept of the game because not every kid is going to be like yours and be able to sit down and pick it up but another thing is that they want to find a way to make D&D Less about fighting and violence and more about puzzle solving and and role play aspects in, in a more positive way as opposed to the violence. What would you have to say about that? Is that something that you've thought about or is that something that you just, you know, you have a different outlook on
2: that? Like I said, it, it all depends on the individual kids themselves. Overall, I think it's a great idea. If they can get it done. I think Mike. one of Michael's keys for him grasping it so quickly is he's, I mean, he's been playing console video games since he was three. Oh, yeah. We, we go over there and see him playing Zelda and Minecraft and yeah. whatever. I think he just automatically correlated it in his head to an imaginary video game yeah. where he doesn't hold a controller. I think that's how he grasped it so easily. Gotcha. So them being able to do that with everybody else would obviously make the transition easier. Uh-huh. And then you know, I, I talk about the the combat and how he's he's into all that and the healing and the fighting and stuff. Yeah. But even just running around town and talking to people, he is very very engaged with NPCs and conversation. Plays his character like his character would play to his traits and flaws and everything.
1: Really, do you run a setting or a campaign that is kind of has a a mood or an atmosphere that is more conducive to the younger age? Or I mean, obviously, you're not trying to. Bring out these high end concepts in your mm-hmm. game, but but how how much do you bring it to their level, and how much is it just a fantasy setting that they get to take to whatever the level they want to? It's pretty
2: much an open campaign where basic setting is it's a, like a newly found continent mm-hmm. or a newly discovered continent, and so it's pretty much the Wild West. Cities are just cropping up. There are, you know, elven ruins and stuff far off to the east that aren't necessarily even known about the, at this point. And it's, so you have all of these different races kind of melding, trying to grow this new thing. And so it's pretty much a free-for-all. So you can do and be as good or bad as you want to.
1: Give us a maybe a brief idea or a rundown of maybe a quest or an adventure that you've ran recently.
2: Um, I had one here. Actually, they just finished up our last session. was when they first got into town... Uh, They were bored one day and had looked at the message board and found a note from a man who was seeking help with... What's the word I'm looking for? Basically, he's a problem solver. He's a fixer. Like Mm -hmm. People with power and money go to him, and he takes care of their problems. Right. So he was offering large sums of gold for people who could do this and keep their mouth shut. So they went and had a meeting with this guy, and he hired them, or he was trying to hire them to get rid of the boyfriend of the daughter of one of the council members of the town. Yeah. And they were paying it was paying a large sum of gold for getting rid of him however they wanted to. They could convince him to leave, they could kill him, they could whatever. From the sounds of the way that the the man was described, he was not going to leave willingly. And so it was generally implied that it was an assassination contract. Hmm. My 5-year-old did not want to take it because he said that the man was a bad man, and he didn't like him. He didn't want to be mean to this other guy. Fair enough. My daughter immediately took it. <laughs> with a gold lust in her eyes that I have never seen. <laughs> That's awesome. And my wife just sat there and sugar head. So, <laughs> so they, they did this, and they go out to um, a farmhouse just outside of town. They find this guy there. He is a half-orc, and he is actually in the process of trying to be convinced by some other orcs to return to his homeland, because he's not from around. So they come upon the orcs, they barely save a disaster role for diplomacy. <laughs> I, I This is one of the situations where I have had to bail them out in campaigns. Yeah. Um, they tried a diplomacy, or what is it in 5e, not diplomacy? Like a persuasion. Persuasion, there you go, yeah. Uh, they they one rolled a persuasion, <laughs> and I pretty much had to save them out of it. Um, I let somebody else roll to to save the conversation because it was a bunch of higher level orcs, and they would have gotten including in Oberlon in and they would have gotten party wiped. So, <laughs> so that was one situation. I think that's there's only been two of those situations where I've had to to save them Yeah. Yep. But, but that was one of them. Um, so they essentially they can this guy to leave uh, without fighting. And in the process they find this daughter who's not supposed to be there and all this kind of stuff. And right, yeah. So it gets interesting because the daughter is... Turns out is using the guy just to basically be mad at her dad for not buying her stuff. Uh-huh. And so she turns out to <laughs> yeah. not be in need of help. She is essentially the the villain in, in the situation. Yeah. So the, So it's like
0: your daughter, but... In D&D. Yes. yes. Uh, In the that, that's what your teenage daughter would <laughs> do, is, is her right there.
2: And so, so the, the guy basically breaks down and then returns home, and so we are taking the daughter back, and then my daughter and my wife decide to take her back to the orcs. Basically for execution. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is... They pretty much outvoted my son, who didn't want to do it again, and... So they drag her back to the orcs and offer her up as a sacrifice, essentially. And so they they execute her right there.
0: <laughs> so, so you guys get into the, uh, the the hard stuff with the with. Those I guys. I
2: like to put them into
1: moral situations. But what I like about this is that you weren't you didn't bring a situation about that had this hard, dark ending intentionally. You you yeah, brought the a situation. And and you let the players at the table carry the story, I mean, even your even your yes. kids. And that's that's really that's really cool.
2: It was basically yeah. I, I presented them with the idea of helping a bad person and whether or not they wanted to do that. Yeah. And then they chose not to.
1: The thing that I would be concerned about is that I I would have a hard time or I would get nervous introducing my kid. Especially at an early age, to a dark or a, a a really twisted scenario that really forces them maybe down a path that they don't want, that they didn't plan on going down, or that they uh-huh. didn't wouldn't have thought themselves to go down. No, but, but killing younglings in your yeah, game. But this is this this is I like this more where it it allows you as the DM, but also as the parent to kind of gauge where they're at and where their their personality wants to take this.
2: I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of this for me is watching each of my kids make decisions based on what they want to do. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting aspect to see.
1: Um, Is there anything else as we kind of start to wrap up this segment? Is there any other antidotes or anything like that that you might want to bring up? as part of this conversation?
2: Basically, I've learned, I mean, you can't force it. That is the one thing I learned earliest on, is you cannot, like, I can't set a schedule with yeah. my kids, because sometimes they're just, they're just not interested. And so I can't force it on them. Sometimes we'll play two days in a row, and sometimes we won't play for a week and a half. Yeah. But that's, that's the biggest thing. I feel like when they can decide when they're in the mood to play, that's when they get more involved, that's when they have better sessions. For
1: sure. And it sounds to me like a big part of it is, removing your maybe reasonable but preconceived notions of what playing D is like and maybe allowing your kids in the situation there kind of show you a different way to play
2: absolutely I'm, i pretty much went into this without any kind of structure in mind i just wanted to give my kids a place to be creative to be powerful to be something else yeah to do what they wanted to
1: awesome all right well now we're going to get into uh our next topic and this kind of tail ends with the past one. Um, What I'm kind of curious to hear is uh, we've kind of each put together, at least uh, thought about a list of monsters that we would throw at kids or that we think would be ideal from the monster manual or from our own heads, uh, monsters that we think are more geared towards kids. And why I like this question is that when I sat down to kind of start to make my list, I realized that, this is looking at, again, looking at the game in a different way.
0: There's a lot of stuff in there I'm not sure I would know how to describe to a kid. And if they don't understand what it is, I can't
1: imagine they would care. Exactly. So this has already been of a big benefit to me because, I mean, almost half the book I threw out, and, and, and this is just me, for my experience, I... I threw out almost more than half the book just because I'm like, my kid isn't going to care about that. If I was to pose it to him, my kid isn't going to care about that or that, or this is a weird twisted monster. Like we're talking about like a mind flayer or something like mm-hmm. that. I'm like, there is no reason for me to even try. Like, how do you construct that as something to describe? Well, for and a to kid?
0: construct it in a way that depicts what it is without make being just completely terrifying. I mean, this monster can detect your thoughts and he's going to eat your brain and all this other stuff. And, and I mean, once they get older, obviously that's not an issue, but especially
1: when, when you're down at five, um, and maybe that's something that certain kids wouldn't have to deal with. But for my kid, at least I know he is imaginative enough that you give him something like that and he is going to conceive of it. But anyhow, what, so what are some typical monsters that you've thrown at your kids
2: already? Basically, I kind of look at both of my kids. My daughter is really, really into animals, and so yeah. we do a lot of uh, nature-based animals, nature-based creatures. Uh, she's um, into
0: animals, and you slaughter them. <laughs>
2: yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, we, uh, I haven't worked into the campaign yet, because they're too low-level, but my son is obsessed with dragons. Yeah. And so we haven't worked it in yet, but its I'm trying to figure out how to do that.
0: And that's one nice thing about... I, past versions of Adam 2, but there's... There's the younger dragons and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Now, having heard your son, maybe he wouldn't want to attack a baby dragon yeah. is the thing. Yeah, so sure. that could be interesting uh, just in and of itself. But they'll get to the point at least fairly quickly where they'll be able to do, mm-hmm. do something.
1: Yeah, I really like dragons. That was on my list for sure. Right out the gate. That's like, oh, your kids is going to want to fight a dragon. Especially when the game is called Dungeons and Dragons. More than adults will, kids will hold you to that name. Like, listen, this game has dragons in it. You can't lie to me. Another one that I was thinking of that I really thought would be great is Giants, just in Mm -hmm. general. Because, in my mind at least, A, that's something that comes up in fairy tales with some regularity, which is a great point of interest for, for kids in general. But also, it's this idea of kids are always looking up right now, right? Uh, especially at the younger age, they're always, everything's bigger than them. And, and okay. putting a giant in front of them is a way for them to maybe get to tackle something that's bigger than them for once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, that, that could be a fun uh, monster. And it's also not inherently terrifying, other than its size. I mean, it looks like a person a lot of the time, except it's big.
2: So we, we had a recent encounter where there was an overlaw in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and so just to see... That's the other thing I, I enjoy, is watching their faces as I describe things. Yeah. And they they kind of get it in their head what it actually is, and then he kind of gets taken back and his eyes get wide when he realizes this thing <laughs> is 14 foot tall. Um, it's, it's interesting and it's fun, and I can kind of judge based off of their reactions to my information if I'm on the right track or not.
1: It sounds like to me that... DMing for your young kids would have to be this huge boost in your DM yeah, confidence, a, Just like, a giant ego boost. Like
2: it's it's a roller coaster because you have the moments where they're really into it and you feel great about it, yeah, and then you have the moments where.
1: You have a thirty-minute session. S- session,
2: <laughs> session needs to be over. Yeah. this this was a mistake. We should not have done this today. So, especially early when I was trying to schedule it and things like that, we would be playing five minutes, and it was he was under the table and playing with the cat and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah.
0: Uh, the monsters i was looking at uh, zach already kind of touched on it but uh, a lot of them were things you would find in fairy tales Mm -hmm. so the stuff that i found that i thought would work for them was stuff like trolls i thought a witch would be really good they could take out the wicked witch you've got that in a million different stories Mm -hmm. it also allows them to maybe go up against something with some some spells some creepy stuff that's not out of the realm for kids like it it, it's it's something they would have heard of before. And then the other one I thought would be interesting is the is the mimics. Just because it's not difficult to imagine a treasure chest with teeth on it. Like, they thought it was a treasure chest, they open it, and it's got a giant mouth, and it's trying to eat them. And it's pretty easy to visualize, but it's also like an eye-opener of traps. Yeah, like think before you act. There, there's, there's unseen danger here, That's sort great. of thing. And it, I thought it'd be... I don't have kids, so for everyone listening, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I thought that'd be kind of a cool way to introduce the concept of traps
2: and things I, like I that hadn't too. even thought about that. That is actually, I will end up working that in, so <laughs> that's going to be good. Um, as far as the witch and stuff, that is one of their distant enemies to fight right now is they know of a a witch or a, a mage who is using magic to essentially control people through through amulets and stuff, so... They like that. They like that idea.
1: Uh, pulling out from kind of a more directly D and D monster, I thought that an owl bear could be a fun thing to throw at your kids. I don't even know if you've encountered one, and you're you know you said you've been playing for about eighteen months now. If you've even gotten the chance to encounter one, but like half bear, half owl, just a big giant furry owl. To me, it's always a fun character to come into, a creature to come into contact with they're not inherently evil but to me they're fascinating and they have that fairy tale aspect but they're also what what gets me excited about this idea is that it's such a DD thing like their owlbears are not anywhere else they're a dnd thing and it, i that's one of the first monsters i know my kids will get to see because that tells me that they're playing DD. Yeah. Is when you when you run up against an owlbear another one and this is High on my list, in the last guest podcast that we did for a totally different reason, but dinosaurs. I mean, maybe maybe more so to more to some kids than to the others, but I think I could run an entire, probably an all day adventure, and as long as dinosaurs were there in nearly every part of it, my kid would already be completely invested. Absolutely, in, yeah. So yeah, I uh,
0: Velociraptors, especially. I, I I think I was like three when Lost World came out. And the people at the movie theater told my parents, "No, this is a scary movie. Don't bring your child to it. We don't want him crying." And it got to the scene where everyone's running through the tall grass and the raptors are chasing them, and they're they're taking people out and pouncing on them. And there are some people in the theater who are like jumping and screaming. And I remember crying because of it, but it's not because it was scary. At one point, uh, a raptor leaps out and takes this guy out, and I just like stood up and screamed, "That's so cool!" And the entire theater just started <laughs> laughing at me, and that's what I started crying. I was embarrassed that they were laughing at me. But I anything with dinosaurs, I would have loved. I don't know how much I would have wanted to kill them. I would have wanted a pet dinosaur, but I, I probably... I'm not a kid anymore. I don't remember what my, my child brain would have thought, but I probably would have. I would.
1: I know I would have loved dinosaurs in the game in one yeah, way or the
2: other. I'm true.
1: sure I would have taken some out. That's
2: a fantastic idea.
1: Uh, and, and with their new supplements for... Um, Tomb of Annihilation has just came out. They have kind of expanded their repertoire of dinosaurs stat blocks, so you've got a multitude of options as far as that goes to tell an entire dinosaur adventure or whatever. I mean, that they've got a whole setting now dedicated to you know an island filled with dinosaurs. I mean, like as far as D and D goes, Wizards has recognized that this is a creature that people love and that all age groups of It appeals to, and I just think, though, even yeah, my kid's the same as any other in that he gravitates towards every type of dinosaur there is. So anyhow, that was just kind of one of my big ones. The last one I'll mention is, and you could throw several things in here. You could, you could throw boggles, you could throw kobolds, you could, but and also goblins as this idea of a mischievous creature more so than a hyper violent. It can be a creature that is there to stir up trouble, which I think is. A great way to play D&D without... If, if you're trying to steer it away from having to kill everything, you can have some of those more fun, mischievous, devious creatures like those that they can try to run off, they can scare away, they can do a lot of things with. Or
0: maybe only. they just want your help pulling a good prank. Yeah. yeah, Boggles
1: yeah. especially, I think, would be good for that. Absolutely.
2: Just in in the short time that we've been playing, I feel that they have been more involved when it's not just combat. Yeah uh even even my five year old he he likes the combat as a break up but the storytelling the the interacting with npcs is definitely high on the list well, for and I keeping him with involved
0: almost any game that like everybody enjoys the combat but combat can quickly just become a monotonous slog of drop a dice drop a dice drop a dice and you, it becomes a chore rather than an experience. Absolutely. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for. But I think it's cool that they are already picking up on that. Just because I feel like when I was
1: younger, the fighting is
0: would be the best part. I, I don't know.
1: So, Well, part of that might be, though, that they have an adult, their dad, that is engaging in this with them. That can bring this story or the adventure to life and slate it more towards them. As opposed to in a video game or in a whatever there isn't someone that can pick up on what is interesting to you when you have a lot right. less
0: control over what you can do as in that sense mm-hmm. in a video game. So it's probably a different, especially if he's used to playing things like Zelda and stuff, yeah. he's used to fighting, but he mm-hmm. doesn't always get to have them react to his decisions. That's true. like yeah. that.
2: Well, so. yeah, cause he can't, he can't read the subtitles and in the video games and stuff like that. A lot of them don't have voiceover, so he doesn't get the story interaction.
1: So kind of, we're going to wrap this up here, but, uh, one last question that I had for you, because since we're on this the same line here, is because because I think my coming into this or my initial idea would have been to run it as more of a high amount of action and adventure and fighting, kind of coming along with that, just making that the focus point. So, but it sounds to me like your game is much more balanced. And is, is that the case? I mean are you are you having an encounter every session, or is it is it something that's way more loose as
2: far as that goes? We shoot for we generally have at least one counter one encounter per session. Gotcha. my focus going in and what I think helped us was I made both of my kids emotionally attached to their character at creation. I yeah. did not create it for them. I made them do it. I made them roll the dice. I made them decide what stats they wanted where I told them which ones you know what better for the class, obviously. Um, but they got to decide, you know, he got to decide what kind of cleric he was going to be. Yeah. You know? And so it's easier because now he knows exactly who his character is and not what his character is. I think that's a big difference.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, Reese, thanks again for, uh, stopping by the podcast. Uh, we appreciate having you on. I know that you'll be coming back, uh, hopefully before too long to another episode we can talk about again, kind of catch up with you in your campaign and see, uh, what new hijinks your kids are kids are up to? Appreciate it, guys. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. Have a good one.